This morning, we are going to be wrapping up uh, a three-week message series called Unstrapped, Set Free to Live Free. And uh, man, if this is your, your first Sunday here and you're like, oh, dad, dang it, man, I came on Money Sunday. I, <laughs> I hate it when churches talk about money. If that's you, I would just say come back next week because we're done after today, all right? <laughs> we're, we're done. And... Um, just so you know, the reason we carved out three weeks to talk about the subject of money, really, really twofold reason. First of all, um, you know, it's just something that we all deal with, right? I mean, we, we all have to manage money and figure out money, and uh, it's just something that we all deal with. Money statistically is one of the top causes of, of stress. It's one of the top causes of marital issues and, and divorce, uh, depression, anxiety, like you name it, money is kind of like at the top of the list for all those things. And so, uh, it's just something that we all we all deal with, and and nobody is talking about it really in, in our culture and our society. And so, uh, we just decided, hey, we're, we're going to talk about it because uh, I, I believe the church should be addressing real issues in real ways, not ducking different topics and issues because it happens to make people uh, uncomfortable. And then the second reason that we carved out a few weeks to talk about the subject of money is because of the Bible in general and Jesus specifically, they speak about money like a ton. <laughs> Like, like almost, almost more than, than anything else. And as we've said the last few weeks, it's, it's not because God needs your money, it's because God is after your heart. And Jesus knew that money serves as a gateway to our hearts. And because money is a gateway to our hearts, it also can be a gateway into all sorts of idols that would rob us from the freedom that Jesus wants us to walk in as, as his children. And so that's why we're talking about money. Um, we, we are not not trying to get you to like give more money to the church. Um, as I've said in the past, like I'm, I'm, not, I'm not on Craigslist shopping for a private jet, um, <clears throat> anything like that. I mean, it, it would be nice to have a hot tub in the staff offices. That, that would be nice, but we're not even, we're not even gonna go there, all right? So, so, so none of that, that's not the reason we're, we're talking about money. Now, the last two weeks, in case you missed, we, we just kind of talked about overarching, kind of big picture uh, scriptural principles about how God views money and how we, as his disciples, um, ought to view money in light of the gospel of Jesus. And so if you missed either of the last two weeks, you can catch those online. But today, we're gonna get really practical, all right? Now, here's my disclaimer on the front end. I, I'm hitting a lot this morning in a very short amount of time. There's absolutely no way that we can drill down deeply into in, any of these uh, in such a small window this morning. And so for that reason, um, as I've been doing this whole series, I'm, I'm pointing you to some other resources where you can actually drill down and go a little bit deeper. And so I've got two books up here. One I've already mentioned to you a couple of times. This is called The Treasure Principle uh, by Randy Alcorn. I know you can't see it, but I hope you can see how small it is. I mean, it's, it's tiny. Like you literally could sit down, read it um, over a, a cup of coffee in an hour or two Great stuff, great stuff. Highly recommend that, that this one, uh, Treasure Principle. And then this one, The Money Challenge by Art Rayner. Also phenomenal, also really small book, really, really cheap. And so I'd encourage you to grab both of them. So this one is kind of big overarching principles. And this is the one that kind of helps uh, take it to a very deep practical level. And so man, would just point you to these. If you kind of hear the message this morning, you're like, okay, that's good, but that's superficial. I don't really know where to go practically. Again, pick up these two books, Treasure Principle, Money Challenge. You're not gonna be sorry that you did. They're easy reads. 
I have leaned heavily on both of these books throughout this series, and I wholeheartedly recommend them to you. Uh, We are also starting a financial discipleship course on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. So this this hour, um, upstairs in the living room in two weeks. So it starts the first Sunday in February. It's called Financial Peace University. It's gonna be nine weeks long. So again, you wanna go practical. You wanna figure out how to honor the Lord with your finances. Man, this is the perfect opportunity to do that. There's a $99 fee. That's their fee, Financial Peace University. It's not our fee. We don't get a nickel of that. Um, But I'm just telling you, if you've never taken FPU, it has the potential to absolutely transform your life. Uh, And so if you are here this morning and you're in debt, if you're here this morning, you're not living on a budget, if you're here this morning and you're not giving generously, extravagantly into the kingdom of God, if you don't know how to save, like if the idea of saving is just really hard for you, um, man, probably, honestly, 80% of us in this room probably should be signed up uh, for this class. And so that's another resource that we're kind of just pointing you to uh, because we never want to tell you what God wants you to do and then not give you a pathway to actually walk in it, all right? Now, let me give you the big idea of the message this morning, and then what we're going to do is we're going to break it into three kind of bite-sized chunks. We're going to apply it, and then we'll be done. So that's kind of the plan for the morning. Here's the big idea. Uh, this is not original to me. Almost every resource I've studied on biblical finance, and I've looked at a lot of them the last month, um, they all say something similar to this, but, it, but it's really good. So I'm going to give it to you. Here it is. Big idea of the the message. This will be on the screens for you. This is God's kind of three-step money formula, all right? Number one is give extravagantly. Number two is save wisely. And number three is live sufficiently. That's it. So, man, if you you walk away from today understanding those three concepts well enough to begin to actually implement them into your life, this whole series will have been totally worthwhile. And just so you know, that's, that's my prayer for us as a church, that we would collectively, we would learn how to be great stewards of what God has given us. Now, that, that starts with our money, but it also bleeds into every area of our life. It bleeds into our, our time. It bleeds into how we use our talent. The, those of us who are followers of Jesus, who have a spiritual gift, and it, it, it bleeds into how, we, how are we leveraging the spiritual gifts that God has given us in his kingdom. It really bleeds into every area of our lives. But listen, if you get this, if you get what we're talking about this morning, you begin to implement in your life, I promise you, it will revolutionize your life. And that is not, that's not an overstatement. I'm not overselling it. Like I really and truly believe that. And so if you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and open it up, turn it on your device, go to the book of Proverbs. We're gonna start in chapter three. We're gonna be moving around a lot this morning. I'm gonna be speaking uh, quickly, so you listen quickly. I, I typically, if you've come here a lot, you know that I typically, um, I operate out of, out of one anchor text, and we typically will kind of camp out there, and we'll just break it apart and apply it. But this morning, we're gonna be bouncing around, so I, I apologize uh, for that. These, these will all be on the screens for you, so you can keep up. We're gonna be in Proverbs a good bit. The book of Proverbs, many of you know, is what we call wisdom literature in the Bible. Uh, Proverbs was uh, written primarily by King Solomon, who was one of the wisest dudes to ever walk the face of this planet. The scriptures tell us that God gifted Solomon with unsurpassed wisdom. And so if you're like me and you just need a dose of wisdom on a regular basis, man, Proverbs is a great book to just kind of dip into that well on a consistent basis. Really good stuff. And so as we remember, God's, God's formula for financial stewardship, right? Give, give extravagantly, 
save wisely, and live sufficiently. So we're, we're gonna start with the one that tends to stir the most controversy within uh, the evangelical kind of church world. It's the one that causes the most discomfort in settings like this. And frankly, it's the one that the Bible speaks most to. And that's number one, give extravagantly, the command from God for his followers to give extravagantly. So we're gonna start in Proverbs chapter three, verse nine. This is gonna be on the screens for you. King Solomon writes this. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And then he says something interesting. And with the first fruits of all of your produce. So right out of the gate, we get a command to honor God with our money in a very specific way, right? It says we are to give God our first fruits. Now, I don't know if you knew this or not, but in biblical times, uh, people lived in what we call an agrarian society. So most of their possessions, most of their wealth would have been tied up in uh, farming. And God is saying, hey, listen, everything that you have is a gift from me. Like everything in your life, it's, it's from me. It's a gift from me. It's because I care about you. It's because I love you. But I want you to understand that, it, that it's mine. And I want you to give back a portion to me from, he says, from your first fruits. Now, if you're sitting out there and you're thinking, oh, what the heck is a first fruit? All right, this, this is what it means. This is what a first fruit means. It means that you give a portion to God before you pay all your bills. So before you pay all your bills, before you go out to eat as many times as you want this month, before you pay for your Netflix or upgrade your iPhone, the first fruits of, of what I give you, God says, I want you to understand those belong to me. So God is saying, I want you to give me, I want you to give me your first and I want you to give me your best. So God is saying, listen, I don't, I don't want your leftovers. Don't, don't do everything you want to do and live how you want to live the whole month and then bring me your crumbs, man. Don't, don't get to the end of the month and scrounge around in your pockets like, man, I got, I got $3.14 left over. I guess that's what I'm going to give to the, that is the opposite of what God is saying. He says, no, I want you to give me your first and your best. Now, let me, let me go ahead and address the tithe issue. That's kind of the, the elephant in the room a lot of times in churches. That's a question that tends to like come up a lot. And uh, I just wanna show you a couple of different things. First of all, I wanna show you Leviticus 27. This will be on the screens for you. Uh, this is what it says in Leviticus. It says, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. So in the Old Testament, this, this tithe concept was instituted for the people of God. Now the word tithe, I think it's kind of just out there. It's this ethereal word in our society. Nobody really knows what it means. A lot of people think it just means whatever we decide to give to God. But actually the word tithe in Hebrew, it literally means 10%. Now, now notice what it says. It says the tithe, the first 10%, it belongs to who? What does Leviticus say? It belongs to the Lord. And not only that, not only does it belong to the Lord, it says it is, it is holy to the Lord. Now, now, just to illustrate for you how seriously God took the tithe in the Old Testament, I wanna show you something in another Old Testament book called Malachi. This is in Malachi 3, and this is what it says. God speaking here. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. 
So God, God looks at his people, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, and he goes, listen, you guys have absolutely rebelled against me. You're not following my commands. You've turned your back on me from the days of your forefathers, from your fathers and grandfathers. You've been running from me. And God says, I want you to return to me. If you'll just return to me, I'll return to you. And the people go, what are, you, what are you talking about, God? How, how, how do we return to you? And God looks at him and he says, stop robbing me. They go, God, how, how, how are we robbing you? And God answers by withholding your tithes and your contributions. And then God goes, You're, you, you've actually brought a curse on yourself. You've actually, you don't know this, but you, you've actually brought a curse on yourself by robbing me of the small portion of everything that I've given you. All I'm asking you to do is to give me a small portion. It's all mine anyway. Everything you have is mine. I'm asking you to give me a small portion back. You're robbing me and you've brought a curse on yourself. Now the next question that comes up a lot is, well, isn't, isn't, isn't the tithe, con isn't that like an Old Testament concept? Like, there's not really a command in the, the New Testament to tithe, right? And the answer is uh, yes and no. I wanna show you a couple of places in the New Testament where, where I think Jesus actually indirectly affirms the concept of a tithe. And understand, I'm not, I'm not legalistic about this. I'm not dogmatic about it. I just, I wanna show you a couple places and you just let the Holy Spirit do what he does in your heart with, it, with this. And then I wanna show you some clear, like undisputable um, places uh, in the New Testament that talk about giving principles, okay? So don't, don't turn there, you can read this later, but this is found in Matthew chapter 22. And in this scene, uh, the, the Pharisees, who are like these super religious guys, who are really, really far from God, which I, I think does serve as kind of a cautionary tale for us, right? That it absolutely is possible for us to be outwardly religious, and for our hearts to be very distant from God, right? It's absolutely possible for us to be churchgoers and come in here and smile and say, uh, uh, how you doing, brother? Yeah, God is good all the time. It's possible for us to put on a good show and actually have our hearts be really uh, far and removed from God. That's who these guys were as the Pharisees. And in this scene, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 22, they come to Jesus one day and they're trying to trap him. And so they ask Jesus this question. They go, Jesus, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? They're trying to trap him. And so Jesus says, hey, give me, give me a coin. Let me, let me look at the coin. And so one of them pulls out a coin, hands it to Jesus. And Jesus goes, man, okay, who's, whose name and image is on that coin? And they answer, well, Caesar's. And then Jesus answers really, really interestingly. He goes, listen, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Or render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But it doesn't just stop there. He says, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but then he follows up and he says, give to God what belongs to God. Now, as very religious Jews, the Pharisees would have understood that command clearly that what belonged to God was the tithe, right? So Jesus just said, pay your taxes, and then he tax onto it and give to God what belongs to God. Jesus just indirectly, in my opinion, affirmed the concept of a tithe. Now, this is, this is New Testament, guys. This is not Old Testament, this is, this is in the Gospels. Now let me, let me show you something, the very next chapter in Matthew 23. This one will be on the screens for you. Again, Jesus is addressing these Pharisees who loved religion, but their, their hearts were, were cold and dead. This is what he says in Matthew 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law like justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done 
without neglecting the others. So Jesus looks at these religious dudes who are spiritually dead inside, and he goes, listen, you guys even tithe on your spices, right? Can you imagine going home, getting your little McCormick thing out and shaking out 10% and bring it in here and just lay, lay it right here? We wouldn't even know what to do with it. But that's what, that's, what, that's what these guys were doing, man. They were just, man, they were gonna follow the commands of God to, to the law, but they were neg- neglecting even weightier commands like justice and grace and mercy and love. And so Jesus looks at them and says, listen, you guys need to start practicing justice and mercy, but then he says something interesting. He says, without neglecting the other, specifically speaking about the tithe. So I think a strong argument can be made that Jesus actually affirmed the tithe as a, as a standard or a baseline of giving in the New Testament. Again, I'm not dogmatic about it. I'm not legalistic about it. I'm not telling you you're in sin if you're not giving at least 10% to the local church. I'm just telling you that that's what Jesus taught. I'm gonna let the Holy Spirit just kind of do what he's gonna do in your heart with that. But even if we ignore both of those places, those two separate teaching occasions where Jesus indirectly, I think, affirmed the tithe, let me just ask you this. If you study the teachings of Jesus, particularly if you studied his greatest sermon, it's known as the Sermon on the Mount, let me ask you, how many times does Jesus take an Old Testament standard and lower it? How many times? The answer is zero. He always elevates it. Right? So, so if you've studied his, his, his Sermon on the Mount, he goes, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I say to you, if you've hated your brother in your heart, you're already guilty. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you've lusted in your heart, you're already guilty. Jesus always took Old Testament commandments and he elevated the standard, right? Because he's taking our outward actions and he's making them issues of the heart. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter nine. So we're flipping over to the New Testament now. Here, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth and he specifically right here is talking about giving, right? He's talking about money. He's not talking about some kind of spiritual thing here. Specifically talking about money here. This is what he says, 2 Corinthians nine, verse six. He says this, the point is this, Whoever sows or or gives, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? He loves a cheerful giver. And so Paul is saying here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, that there is something that happens, there is something that occurs in your heart when you give. There's just something that that happens when your heart engages in generosity that leads to joy and a cheerful heart and God loves to see that in you. He he wants that for you. He wants that for us. There's this story in uh, Mark chapter 12 and uh, and in the scene, Jesus uh, sits outside the the temple and um, and he's just, he does what I like doing and it's, Watching people. I love just going places and sitting down and just watching people. There are a lot of weird people out there. It's kind of kind of fun. So Jesus is doing that, man. He's sitting there and, um, man, he's out there and he's watching all these rich people. All these rich people are coming to the temple money box and they're dropping all these huge sums of money in there. I just imagine really loudly so everybody can hear how much money they're throwing in there. But then all of a sudden, this, this one little poor widow shows up on the scene. And, and Mark tells us that she puts in Two copper coins, two copper coins, which equal about, about one penny in today's value. 
And then it tells us it was all she had. And Jesus is watching this scene going down and it appears his disciples are, are close by, but they're over here, who knows, they're arguing about who's gonna be greater in the kingdom or whatever it is. And, uh, and, and so Jesus is like, hey, hey boys, hey, come here, man. Y'all, come, come over here. I want, y'all, I want y'all to see that. You see that little widow right there? Yeah, yeah, Jesus, we see her. She just put in more than all of those rich people combined. They're like, Jesus, what are you talking about? We just saw her put two cop- copper coins in. Wait, he, she didn't give hardly anything. What are you talking about? He said, no, 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 no. She, listen, you gotta understand, all those rich people, they gave out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, she gave everything that she had. And Jesus is like, that's my girl. That's my girl, man. She gets it, man. I have her heart, right? She is storing up treasure for herself in heaven where moth and rust will never destroy her treasure. Now, let me ask you a question because this is a question I've had. Maybe you don't wonder things like this and it's just my problem, but have you, ever, have you ever wondered why God gives us everything and then he turns right back around and he says, I want you to give a portion back to me. Like, why doesn't he just give me 90%? I, hey, I took my cut, kid, live it up. You know, half, half, I would prefer that he do that, right? He could do that. Why, why does he not do that? Why does he give us everything that we have and then turn around and say immediately, I want, I want you to give back a portion of what I just gave you. And here's why. God is not after your money. He's just not. He's, he's after your heart. And, and, and here's, here's, here's what giving does. Listen, this is what giving does. When we, when we give, when we practice generosity, it resets and it recenters our hearts on God. It just does. And it reminds us that he is the source of every good thing in our lives. And it's a way for us just to turn back to God and say, God, I, I know, I acknowledge that all of this is yours, man. All of this is your, like the air in my lungs, the blood pumping through my body right now, the clothes on my back, the coffee I just drank, the, the, the money in my bank account. Like this is all from you. It is yours. Like it belongs to you. And so I'm just giving back a little portion of what is already yours, God. So please take this moment and recenter the affection of my heart on you through my generosity. That's what it does for our hearts. Now, there, there's so much more uh, that we could say about giving, but we don't have time. And so I just wanna give you three quick truths about giving, and then we're gonna move on, okay? So this will be on the screens for you. Extravagant giving, the way God has commanded, is connected to to three things primarily in our life. So first thing it's connected to is our joy, like our our happiness. Now now remember uh, Paul, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, we just read a minute ago, Paul said, God loves a cheerful, that word literally means joyful, he loves a joyful giver. There's just... There is this connection, this undeniable connection between our giving to God, our generosity to God, and our joy. Now, many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, man. It, it, it just does something. It just stirs something inside of us. When we are generous, when we give back a portion to God, it just does something inside of us that we can't get uh, anywhere else. That's why Jesus said it is better to give than to, than to receive, Right? There's this connection between our generosity, our sacrifice towards God, and our happiness, our joy. It's counterintuitive, but it's absolutely true. The second thing that our giving is connected to in our lives is actually our understanding of the gospel itself. Listen, listen, as New Testament believers, our standard is not the tithe. 
Our standard is not the tithe. Now, I, I think it's a healthy baseline. It's a good starting point for us. But our standard as New Testament followers of Jesus is not the tithe. Our standard is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who gave it all for us. Listen to what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. This is what he says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he's talking about us. He's talking about his church, his bride, his people. Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that through his poverty, you might become rich. Now, I'm just, I'm gonna say this, and, and this might make some of you mad. Don't, please don't email me, but I'm going to say it because I, I just think it's true. Those of us who claim to be Christians, those of us who claim to be disciples or followers of Jesus and then neglect our giving to God do not have a proper understanding of the gospel. You just don't. There is absolutely no way you can understand what Jesus has done for you rightly and not become a generous person. A non-generous, an, an ungenerous Christian is an oxymoron. It, it doesn't even make sense. It's a contradiction of terms. It, it, just, it doesn't even make sense. So listen, our, our giving is connected to our, our joy, our happiness. It's also connected to our actual understanding of the gospel itself, which is a huge deal. And then thirdly, our extravagant giving is connected to the blessing of God, and I'm not just talking about spiritual blessing, guys. I'm talking about material blessing. Our giving is connected to the material blessing of God in our life. Now, I know, man, I, I struggled when I was working on this sermon in this part because I just I thought, man, some of the people out there are going to be thinking, man, I I knew Chris was eventually going to sell out. I knew he was eventually going to go full prosperity gospel. As soon as I saw him up there with that untucked shirt and that goatee, man, it was just a matter of time before he went off the rails, went full prosperity. And I just, if that's what you're thinking, let me just back up the train a little bit. That, that's, not, that's, not what I'm, that's not what I'm saying. And so all I'm gonna do now is I'm gonna, I'm gonna read you, I'm gonna read you some scripture, okay? And I'm just gonna let the Holy Spirit just do whatever he does in, in your heart, all right? So not, not me, God. Okay, this is, what, this is what he says. All right, so remember, go back to Malachi, that passage about not robbing God. You remember that one? All right, here's the rest of the story. This is, this is what God says um, after he says, hey, hey don't, don't rob me or I'm gonna put a curse on you. This is what he says, verse 10, Malachi 3. He says, bring the full tithe, that's 10%, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God goes, test me. You don't believe that I'm gonna take care of you if you give abundantly and sacrificially? Test me. Give me your first fruits. Trust me. Give extravagantly into my kingdom and here's my promise to you. I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna take care of you. I'm gonna bless you materially. Now Paul says the exact same thing uh, to the church in Corinth. We, we read it earlier, right? Paul said, whoever sows sparingly, he's talking about money there, so whoever gives to God sparingly will also what? Reap sparingly, you'll get back sparingly. But whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. And he was, again, specifically in this text talking about money and giving. Now remember that verse that we started with in Proverbs chapter three about giving our first fruits, right? This is what it says the very next 
verse, right? So God says, hey, I want you to give me your first fruit. Don't give me your leftovers. Don't bring me your crumbs after you've enjoyed everything that you wanted to enjoy this month and you bring me your three bucks that you got left over. Give me your first fruit. And this is the promise that follows that command, all right? This is Proverbs 3.10. It says this. He says, then, if you do that, if you honor me with your first fruits, he says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Not my words. God's words. So, so don't, don't send me an email. I'm not, I'm not going prosperity gospel. I, I don't believe that God is saying, hey, use me like a slot machine and the more you put in, the more you're gonna get out and if, if you just give faithfully to me, then I'm gonna make you filthy rich and you're never gonna get sick and you're always gonna be happy. I do not believe that's what God is saying here. And yet, I cannot deny that the message in both the Old Testament and the New Testament is, hey, trust me. Trust me with the money and the resources that I give you. Give generously back to me and I am going to pour my blessing out on your life. I can't deny, it's, it's just there. There's just this supernatural connection between our trusting God with our giving and him pouring out blessings into our lives. And so if you wanna have a life that's characterized by happiness and joy, and understanding the gospel and walking in the freedom of the gospel and you wanna have God pour out his blessing on your life and you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, listen, you need to become an extravagant giver in the kingdom of God. You cannot afford not to. And that, listen, it's not, it's not me saying that. That's, that's just me reading scripture to you. Old Testament, New Testament. Now, uh, for, for Cheryl and I, what that, that means, and, and by the way, the only reason I use us as an example is because I, I don't know what, any of y'all give, so I, we're the only example I got. Um, but for us, man, when we first got married, uh, we just decided right off the bat, um, we're giving away 10% no matter what, right off the top before we ever pay our first bill. And uh, at the time, man, we were, we were broke as a joke. Um, Cheryl was working full-time as a, as a nanny, and I was in school full-time. I was loading trucks um, uh, at night. And uh, I went back and I looked at some of our tax stuff and together we were making $23,000 a year. And I don't know what poverty line now is in America, but we were probably pretty close. But, but I'm just telling you, man, God, he was faithful to us. And, and, and as God has continued to, to bless us over the years, we're now privileged to, to give above and beyond the tithe, right? Because we have seen how God has been absolutely faithful to us in his promises. Listen, we have never gone hungry. Not once. We have never missed a meal. We have never not had a roof over our heads. We have never not had clothes on our backs. Now listen, there are times that we have gone without things that we wanted. In fact, we're doing that right now. There are too many times we go without things that we want. There have been a few times we've even had to eat rice and beans as we finish out the month until the next paycheck comes in. But listen, God has always been so faithful to us. And so I'm just telling you from personal experience, these truths are 100% trustworthy and accurate. I mean, you can just, you can just bank your life on these truths. I'm just, I'm telling you, we, we're living proof of that. Now, some of you are probably thinking, man, Chris, I don't know, man, that sounds great, but I, dude, I don't have 10%. <laughs> I don't have 10% to, to give, man. Like I, I got tons of bills. I'm drowning in debt. Um, listen, I'll get that, I get that, we'll get to that more in just a minute, but here, I wanna just give you a couple practical ways. The Bible says you, you can begin to put guardrails around your finances so that you don't become strapped 
and enslaved and indebted financially, okay? So Christian, this is, this is what I want you to understand. This is so important. I'm gonna put it on the screens for you. God, God wants you, Christian, he wants you to create financial margin in your life. He wants you to create financial margin in your life. Now, there's a couple ways that we can do that. The first one is we have to learn how to save wisely, okay? We have to learn how to save wisely. Now, all of this flows from and comes after point number one, giving generously, right? So let's not, don't, don't get the formula twisted. Step number one is we give extravagantly. Step number two, only when we've done that, is to begin to save wisely. It's critical that we start in the right order. Now, once our giving is established, now we can move on to these other practical steps that will lead to greater financial freedom and health. Now, we're not gonna belabor this point. Just wanna show you one thing. This is in Proverbs chapter six. It'll be on the screens for you. This is what it says. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. So, hey, hey, watch, watch the ants. You wanna know how to save? Watch, watch the ants. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Now, notice what it says. Hey, listen, you wanna be wise? Watch the ants. The ants work hard in the summer. They gather food. They save food for the winter. In other words, even ants know how to create margin by saving. They don't just take everything that's right in front of them and just devour it right away. Even ants understand that leaner times are likely to come, and so they put aside a portion of what they have now for later. Listen, the, the idea of saving wisely is a biblical principle. Dave Ramsey, who started Financial Peace University, that class that we're about to start here, he's got books, podcasts, man, he's kind of like, He's kind of like the Bible money guru of our, our generation. And so this is what Ramsey says. He says, uh, the goal of every Christian, the goal of every Christian should be, how to learn, should be to learn how to live on 80% of your income max. It should be the goal of every Christian. If you're just following biblical principles, the, your goal should be how, how, do I, how do I live on 80% of what I make max. And so Ramsey, Dave Ramsey says, you need to, you need to start by giving away 10%. And then you need to, once you got that established, you need to start saving 10%, and then you can live on the other 80%, and then you can grow your generosity from there. Man, if, if God blesses your socks off and he makes you filthy rich, man, how cool would it be for you to live on 20% and give away 80%? How, how amazing would that be? So if you want to live in financial freedom, if you want to live in a God-honoring way, step one, again, it's counterintuitive because our culture tells us, spend your way to happiness, Spend your way, just buy more stuff, just get newer stuff, just get bigger stuff that's actually gonna make you happy. And God steps into the scene, he's like, no. No, your first step is to give extravagantly. Step one, step two, save wisely. Be like the ants, watch the ants. Save some for that medical emergency that you didn't see coming. Save some for that car repair, or that hot water heater that's gonna go out, man. If you're older than like 11 years old, you just know th those things are like a part of, part of life. We didn't see them coming, but here they are. They're just these things that, that come up and you need to be prepared for those so that you don't have to go into debt when those things happen. So what if you're here and man, you're just, you're swimming in debt. You're just up to here and you got creditors calling your phone all the time and man, the idea of giving away 10% and, and saving 10% and living on 80%, like that idea just makes you nauseous. Like you're like, man, I need to go throw up right now. If that seems unattainable to you, I would just point you to the third step in God's formula for financial stewardship. Number three, believer, we have to learn how to live sufficiently. We have to learn how to live sufficiently. That is to say, believer, we, we have to learn how to live within our means. 
So, so many of us are, we are spending more than we are making, which is insane. But so many of us are, as Americans, we just, we do it. We just, we see it, we want it, we think we ought to have it. And, and so we, we buy it, we can't afford it, but then, and now we're, now we're slaves, we're indebted. And here, here's what I need, here, here's what I need you to understand this morning. If you're here this morning, you're, you're in this room and you're an American and you live in the United States in the year 2020, and that's all of us, by the way, this is what you need to understand. You are rich. You are rich. Now, I know you don't feel rich. I can tell you I don't feel rich, but the cold, hard data says that we are the richest generation and the richest nation this world has ever seen. Do you know that if you make $25,000 a year, you are in the top 2% of global wealth? Top 2%. If you make $50,000 a year, you're in the top half of 1% of global wealth. There's a website called globalrichlist.com. Don't go there right now, but go there later, globalrichlist.com. You can punch in what you make and it tells you exactly how rich you are in comparison to the rest of the world and it is mind-blowing. And yet, as the wealthiest people this world has ever known, we are also the most indebted people. Just strapped, just owned. We are slaves to debt enslaved to lenders and credit agencies. And friend, I just, I, w- I want you to hear this. That is not God's design for his children. That is not his design for your life, to be a slave. Now let me also say, I, I realize that there, there's a type of debt that you can't control. There's some of you in this room that had a, a, a medical emergency, some kind of surgery come up and you just had no way to anticipate it. Some of you made really wise business decisions with great business counsel and for whatever reason, the, the thing just went belly up. I get that. What, I, what I'm talking about here is living beyond our means. It's living beyond our means. Listen, listen to this. The average American now, this is last year, so it's probably higher now. The average American now carries $38,000 in personal debt, excluding home mortgages, which means for the average couple in America, we're at 75 plus thousand dollars in debt for credit cards and cars and iPhones and stuff like that. Is it, is it any wonder that we struggle as American Christians to give extravagantly as the Lord has commanded? Is it any wonder that we can't save for emergencies? Man, we are slaves. We are slaves to stuff and money and possessions and half of it is stuff we don't even need. Let me give you one more practical kind of take home and we'll start to, to land the plane. Now, this one is, is really deep. Are you ready for this one? It's gonna blow your mind, really deep. All right, here, here it is. If you are not on a budget, get on a budget. If you are not on a budget, you should be. You should be on a budget. If you don't know how, sign up for FPU, Financial Freedom Universe, Financial Peace University. Sign up for it, two weeks. There are also, by the way, there are free apps out there that help. Cheryl and I have used an app you can download on your phone called, called Mint. It's really good. There's another one that a lot of people use nowadays called Everyday Dollar. They have a free version, and then they have an upgrade version that costs a little bit of money. There, but there, in today's day and age, there is absolutely no reason with the tools and resources available to all of us for all of us not to absolutely be living on a budget. No reason at all. You say, Chris, well, what? We haven't needed one, man. We just, God has blessed us and we got money and every time I swipe the card, I know there's gonna be money there to pay. All the more reason you should be on a budget. 
that you do need a budget because as we saw last week, everything that we have belongs to God. And he takes the stewardship of his resources by his people incredibly seriously. In the parable of the talents, uh, Jesus, last week, we looked at it, man, and he, he said, listen, my disciples, he's talking to Christians, he's talking to us, my disciples are gonna stand before their master one day and give an account for how they stewarded the money that I gave them. That's the words of Jesus. Friend, we need to know where every dollar is going because ultimately it is his money and it matters to him how we manage the resources of our king. Now, some of you may not wanna hear this, but I'm, I'm just gonna say it. it. It very well could be that some of us in this room this morning are, are living in houses that we shouldn't be living in. It very well could be that some of us are driving cars that we should not be driving. It could be that some of us are taking vacations that we should not be taking. Hey, listen, for some of y'all, maybe, maybe you just need to hit up Myrtle Beach this summer instead of the Bahamas or instead of Europe. For some of you, maybe you need to trade in your car with a $400 a month payment for one with a $200 a month payment. Christians, we, we have to start living within our means. Now, practically, what, what that has meant for, for Cheryl and I is that for us as a family of five, man, we, we live in a great, awesome, sweet little 1,700 square foot home, man. And, and it's awesome and we love it. And, and could, could we fudge our finances? Could we, could we mess with the numbers and say, well, let's give a little bit less here and, and then we could move into a bigger house in a nicer neighborhood? Yeah, yeah, we, we probably could do that. But we, we don't wanna do that. Could, could, we, could we fudge with the numbers on the paper and justify maybe giving away a little bit less so that we could drive newer vehicles? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we probably could do that, but we're just, we've made the decision, we are not going to be enslaved to a $400 or $500 a month car payment. We're, just, we're not gonna do it. We are convinced that is not the best way to honor our king with what he has entrusted us with. And ultimately, if we believe the Bible is true, if we did that, we would be robbing ourselves of joy and the blessings that God has for us in our lives. So we're just not gonna do it. We've just made the decision that we are, we are gonna live within our means and oftentimes we are gonna live below our means so that, we can, so that we can give extravagantly, so that we can invest in the kingdom of God, so we can give money to our, our church here and the mission here and to missionaries that are serving around the world and we're, just, we're not gonna be slaves to debt. We just made the decision. We're gonna walk in freedom. We want to walk in the freedom that Jesus has for us and the freedom that I believe he wants you to have as well. Friend, listen to me. God is not trying to take money out of your pocket. He's trying to keep idols out of your heart. And he knows that the antidote to forming idols in your heart is through the process of generosity. It's just the way that we're wired. It's how we function. Now hear me say this clearly. God is not against big houses. God is not against new cars or nice cars or vacations in Europe. Please do not walk out of here feeling guilty if God has blessed you financially. And if you're giving extravagantly and you're saving wisely and you're living on a budget and you can still vacation four times a year in Europe and you can drive brand new cars and you can live in a huge house with swimming pools and hot tubs, I say, man, enjoy it. Enjoy God's good gift to you. Enjoy it and let's become friends. Let's, let's be friends. Like I, I, have, I, I, have, I have room in my life for one more friend. It could be you. 
<laughs> could be you. Let's hang out. Let's hang out soon. <laughs> God gives us these guiding principles because, listen, he wants us to live as free men and women and not as slaves. Not as slaves to stuff and newer and better and cars and houses and credit cards. He's not trying to take money out of your pocket. He's trying to guard your heart because he loves you more deeply than you'll ever know. Now, I wanna, I wanna close with this as the band, band comes. If you study the early history of the church, histor- historians wrote about the early Christians that they were, they were insane. <laughs> the, the Jewish and Roman historians would write about these early Christians and they're like, these guys, are, they're, they've lost their minds. The, these early Christians, they, they're crazy. Not, not only do they care for their own poor and their own widows, they, they actually care for our poor and our widows, man. They, they sell their possessions. They lay them at the feet of the apostles so that they could care for the needs of the world around them. And it's just like the world has never seen people like this. And the early church absolutely flipped the world on its head because they were pointing people to a greater gospel with their lives and with their possessions. And I'm just saying to you this morning, church, we gotta start preaching a better gospel with how we live and how we give and how we steward what God has given us. To whom much is given, much will be required. Let's honor God as faithful stewards, let's unlock the joy and the freedom, the blessings that he wants to pour out on us this year as we walk with him for our good and his glory. Let's, let's pray, then we'll sing. Father, thank you. Thank you for showing us what extravagant giving looks like. Thank you for not just telling us what it is and what it looks like and us trying to fumble around and figure it out. God, you actually have modeled this for us by giving us yourself. God, thank you so much for sending Jesus who left the riches of heaven and became poor so that we might become rich in Christ. Thank you for sending Jesus to rescue us, God, when we had no way to rescue ourselves. God, would you, would you remind us that you have set us free in the gospel of Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection. You have set us free so that we might live in freedom, not as slaves to anything, God, including money and finances and materialism and debt and all that junk that we seem to wanna chase in life because we think it's gonna make us happy and it leaves us empty, God. Help us not live for stuff that's not gonna matter. God, help us apply your word, your principles to our lives. Help us... Help us at the end of our lives to be found as faithful stewards of what you have given us for our own freedom, God, and so that others might also be set free here in Asheville and around the world, God. And we ask for these things in the beautiful name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand and sing.